Raise your hands if you don't have, uh, if you don't have notes. I know you don't want them, but it doesn't matter. You're going to get them. Um, I've told you before, I'm tenured, so uh, they can't fire me or get rid of me unless I do something illegal. So um, I'm just going to act like a teacher who uh, can do what I want. So um, uh, I think you'll find them helpful this morning. And uh, once again, thanks to Dana for the gigantic font. Um, so there really isn't that much on the page. Um, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, you know we've been in this amazing book. This could have been a year. Uh, and uh, today, from Ephesians 6, we're just going to do one portion. Um, this is war. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and the powers and the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done this thing to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. This, of course, is all Old Testament quotes. The, the armor wasn't new, just really packaged amazingly here by Paul. Having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, what we see here is there are two realms of reality. Actually, you find this throughout the Old and the New Testament. There's the physical realm and the spiritual realm, and the physical realm, of course, is the one that we can see and, and hear and touch. But the Scripture tells us that the spiritual realm is every bit as real as the physical. In fact, what we see here is the great battle that humans face is actually going on in the spiritual realm. So the horrible events that we see in the physical world are actually a reflection of the real war. So um, here we have one of the classic biblical passages on what has become known as spiritual warfare in the modern church. And as we begin looking at this issue, I want to start with two key concepts. Here you go. Number one, here's your uh, first blanks. Key concept number one, the world of spiritual darkness and the demonic is real. Look how the Apostle Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at the scripture, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And key concept number two, here's your blanks. Beliefs tend to be imbalanced and extreme on issues related to the spiritual realm. You see, one of the great articulations of this tendency comes from the introduction to C.S. Lewis's great short novel called The Screwtape, Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read it, the, the essence of it is, is it's these two demons who are working together to try to tempt a new believer away from the faith, away from their new faith in God. And, and notice the insight that C.S. Lewis has here in the introduction to this book. Uh, it's on the screen. There are two equal and opposite errors 
into which our race can fall about the demons. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And notice this amazing insight. The demons themselves are equally pleased with both errors. So both ditches are a great place from the enemy's perspective for us to be. So some Christians basically don't believe that uh, there are evil spirits at all. Others spend a lot of time and energy in an unhealthy focus on the realm of darkness. You may have uh, heard me say this before. If you had a flat tire on your way to church this morning, it probably has nothing to do that you didn't plead the blood over the rubber. It probably has way more to do with your cheap and you should have bought new tires. Uh, I mean, you can see demons everywhere, but you also then, in a reactive theology, can believe it's not real. That all that matters is what's going on here, what I can touch, taste, and feel. Um, As you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but next time you go into a Bible bookstore, look for a section on Jesus. You won't find it. But you know what every one of them has a section on? Spiritual warfare. It's a growth industry to write books. Between my MD and this topic, I could probably make bucks writing books on this. It's a growth industry. So this morning, I'm hoping to present a biblical balance on the issue of the war going on in the spiritual realm. So let's begin by looking what our text said about how real the demonic world actually is. Look at the phrases. They're they're on the screen. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Notice the scripture personifies evil. There is no ethereal force that floats around that's either good or bad. Star Wars is wrong. There is no evil that isn't in an intentional being making a choice to do wrong. So is there a Lucifer? Of course there is, because there is no such thing as evil that is just out there. So look at this. Our struggle is against rulers, against powers, against the world darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and we're being attacked by, look at this brilliant language, flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, the seriousness of this battle against evil is, is portrayed uh, in the Passion of the Christ. You may have seen this. It's an amazing rendering of Jesus going to the cross. And in the picture that happens in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is struggling with the horrible specter of going to the cross. We see Satan presenting himself, and he's questioning God's plan, and he's encouraging Jesus to doubt the Father. Watch this. So to deal biblically with the concept of spiritual warfare, we need to acknowledge the reality of the evil going on in the heavenlies around us. The world of the occult is very real, witchcraft is real, and the demonic is real. But I want us to notice how the biblical response to battling the world has nothing to do with incantations, bizarrely patterned prayers. You can actually buy books on these patterned prayers. Uh, It has nothing to do, of course, with ghostbusters or professional exorcists running around looking for people uh, who have trouble with the demonic world. Rather, in the most famous of all spiritual warfare passages in Scripture, the one we're dealing with this morning, Look at how objective and straightforward the weapons against the forces of darkness are. Here's the full armor. Stand firm with, here's your blanks. I'll go through it twice because there's a bunch of them. Truth. Here's the weapons, folks. 
righteousness, the gospel, peace, faith, salvation, and the word. Here's the armor. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, peace, faith, salvation, and the word. Notice the battle isn't weird, bizarre, or ethereal. It's nothing like a horror movie. As you look at the armor, this battle requires radical commitment to the disciplines that create Christ-likeness in us. The armor passage demands that we dive into the Word and immerse ourselves in the things of the holy, that we dig deeply into the truth, that we pursue righteousness, that we build our faith and take the gospel to everyone around us. That's what spiritual warfare really is. So I want us to look at two applications. Number one, here's your blank. The spirit world isn't cute or entertaining. It's actually very dangerous. We could spend the entire message studying the scriptural passages about the dangers of the world of darkness, but I'm just going to take a moment to give a warning. Hollywood and the arts have made the spirit world look very tame and even entertaining. They make cute witch and warlock films, Fun little family movies that appear to defang the world of the demonic. They make light of talking to ghosts and dead ancestors. But this entire effort is to make darkness look harmless. This endeavor is treacherous. There's nothing okay about magic or witchcraft, the spirit world. Remember, the word of God has warned us that even Satan presents himself as an angel of light. He can look oh so harmless. So let me give you a biblical warning. Here's your next blanks. Write them in. Don't dabble with the spirit world. It's at war with Christ. And its mission is to destroy humanity. Don't dabble in it. Application number two. And here's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. The great tragedy of the casual Christian. Listen, church. The great tragedy of the casual Christian is that they unintentionally assist their own enemy. Do you realize how stupid that is? We join the powers that desire our demise. It's an amazing irony in the Christian world. This, as we begin this application, I want to think about the destruction that Satan has perpetrated on humanity since Adam and Eve's sin. Think about what's going on today in the world around us. Think about all the suffering, the oppression, the abuse, the hatred, the evil, the pain. Entire nations live with people who never will know one day of freedom in their entire lifetime. That's what much of the world is like. Even in the 21st century, evil dictators still run huge portions of the world. Tribal warfare and genocide continue. Human trafficking enslaves millions worldwide. Satan's reign of terror encircles the globe, and it's impossible to comprehend the vastness of the pain that's being inflicted on humanity. But here's the reason for every bit of the suffering. The human race listened to Satan in the Garden of Eden when he said, you can be like God. Here's what's wrong with the world. 
Whenever a human looks at God's way and God's word and then decides to go their own way, they're setting themselves up as God. My way, not yours. By the way, how fortunate are we that Jesus did the opposite in the garden? We were all lost if it weren't for the three words, not my will. You see, this, precisely this, and nothing else is exactly what's wrong with the world. But I want to make sure that we don't make an er erroneous assumption here. There's something that we have to face squarely as followers of Christ. When we say that sin and rebellion are the reasons for the state of our fallen world, you know what we tend to apply that to typically? We only tend to apply it in the extreme, and we only tend to apply it to others' sin. Let me explain. It's really easy for us to see how this applies to Adolf Hitler, right? Really easy to, to, uh, to look at Mao Zedong. Really easy, Joseph Stalin, probably 20 million of his political enemies murdered by him. Really easy, and uh, there's no question the enemy greatly uses the despots of the world. But we tend to miss the more pervasive issue of the impact that disobedience in the lives of Christians has on the world. So let me give you some biblical precepts that have been nearly altogether missed among believers. Key concept number one, here's your blanks. The dominion of darkness isn't aided only by dramatic sin evil dictators, child abusers, criminals, and terrorists. Hmm. The enemy gets help elsewhere as well. Key concept number two, here's your blanks. Every point of disobedience to God and his word, listen, every point of disobedience to God and his word, even what we would call trivial disobedience, especially since it's easy, I like to compare myself to Hitler. I look so good. How about you? What we call trivial disobedience, every point of disobedience to God and his word, even trivial disobedience, advances the cause of the enemy. See, when most believers consider the impact of sin in their lives, they usually only think about the effect of their choices on themselves, right? So, so we ask things like, uh, if I disobey God in this matter, how will it affect me? How high a price will I have to pay? We tend to personalize the impact of disobedience and we ignore the much broader influence that it actually has in our world. So let me explain what I mean here. When a believer fails to follow God completely, this cuts off God's power in their lives. It cuts off the very power that we need to influence the world for good. The power of decreasing suffering. The power to change the destiny of others. The power to bring justice to the oppressed. To bring provision to the poor. Sin removes God's power to set wrong things right. When we fail to follow Christ completely, all of these efforts to fight evil are compromised because any disobedience in a believer's life cuts off God's power in that life. Now, most of us can see very clearly when really wicked people wreak havoc in the world, right? We, we, we curse it. We pray against it. We should. But this concept, when working in the life of a Christian, is just as true of little sins as it is of the huge, 
obvious, vicious evil that so quickly gets identified as the real problem with the world. Let's face it, since we find our own sins so trite and excusable, we think that the answer for this troubled world is for all of those people out there to obey God. If they would change, if they would follow Christ, it would clean up the world. And this leads me to something that's really hard to teach very well. So it's, uh, it's always iffy for me to try, but here's my, here's my perhaps vain attempt to be uh, clever. Um, perhaps that's the reason why it's one of the greatest blind spots in modern Christianity. Key concept number three, look at this. The small, the small in quotes, the small disobedience of a Christian does more to advance Satan's purposes than the spectacular sin of a non-believer. Uh-oh. Well, fortunately, you know, this couldn't possibly be a biblical concept, so don't worry about it. Well, this at face value sounds ridiculous. How could this be? Here's how. When those who don't know God, those who live in darkness, fail to do God's will, you know what they're doing? They're simply doing what's expected. In this case, the forces of darkness are simply getting help from their allies. That's already expected. There's no surprise. You know what this is? It's just a sinner sinning. Surprise! It's a sinner living in sin. You know what? Actually, they are honest sinners. They're living consistent with their worldview. No lie at all. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But when a person who's received the grace of God lives contrary to his will, this actually supports the forces of darkness. When a believer decides to disobey, this actually adds unexpected support to the cause of the one who's destroying humanity. Have you ever thought about it that way? Can you imagine that when we live in sin, we actually lend support to the enemy's cause? And this is true in several ways. Look at the three kinds of support that sin in the life of believer gives to the enemy. Look at this. Support number one. The dominion of darkness, here's your blanks, the dominion of darkness is advanced when one of its opponents become an ally through disobedience. Enemy support number two. 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 The kingdom of God is compromised because a person who's supposed to be committed to Christ has removed themselves from his cause. And three, when a believer lives in disobedience, watch this, the loss for the cause of Christ and the gain for the cause of darkness is completely unexpected. It's not supposed to be this way. It's no surprise when a sinner does spectacular sin, just an ally helping out the enemy. This, though, is a big surprise. Now, I hope I can explain these issues in a way that you'll understand. And to do it, let me, let me remind us of the key verse in Ephesians 6. Look at verse 12. It's on the screen. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, to add some meat to this concept, let's link it to an Old Testament analogy. I find when you're talking theology, a lot of times the Old Testament does an amazing job of giving theology within a, a, a story or a picture or an event. 
You may know that God often used Israel to set things right in nations that had become so evil that they were sacrificing their own children to idols. God would use them to destroy evil nations that were, had gone that far. And so he would, not because his people were righteous, but because if God waited around to use only perfectly righteous people to help him save the world, he'd never find one. Okay? So, but notice, and set aside for the moment the issue of using Israel because they themselves were sinners as well. But notice what is happening in this kind of a setting. He, he would send his people to do battle against violent, murderous armies. But while these stories had specific and literal meaning in the time they happened, they have an even more significant meaning that applies to all of history. So look at this text from Leviticus chapter 26, and notice how it starts. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, see how this starts? If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, you will, and now I've taken some of them out, but look at some of the blessings. You will eat food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant you peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. Notice what will happen when God's people obey. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Look at these multiplications. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Don't miss this. If you keep my commandments. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase 10,000. Here's the analogy going on in the spirit realm. How does God take on the injustice of the world and do battle with those who oppress the powerless and abuse the weak? How does he set things right? How does he relieve suffering? He does so through the power that comes when his people obey him and he gives them the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You see, when we live in the center of God's will, he sets the enemy to flight and defeats the forces of darkness through us. Isn't that amazing? It's a remarkable picture. Now, please pay attention so you can make an important biblical connection. Satan's resources are limited. He's not omnipotent like God. If God never had an angel... He could do anything he wanted. Satan has a limited number of forces and power. Okay, so he has to deploy his forces very strategically. He can't waste resources. So think about this. When a believer stops earnestly contending for the faith in every aspect of their life, when a Christian drops their weapons and stops fighting the battle for Christ, When a Christian goes AWOL, if you will, then that allows the enemy to deploy his forces elsewhere. No problem with that, Christian. And so, don't think for a minute that our actions have no impact on evil and injustice and suffering in the world. Don't think that just because I'm not the one being unjust, I'm not the one creating the suffering, I'm not the one involved in sex trafficking, that my actions don't impact what's happening elsewhere in the deadly, dark, spiritual, evil realm in the world. Hmm, this is, I don't like this, do you? It's so easy to carry placards about those people, isn't it? Oh, God, help our 
spiritual pride. This is an amazing concept. Our calling is to lessen the damage going on in the world by getting the enemy's attention and forcing him to have to deal with our faithfulness. But when we sin, we can literally give him the luxury of redeploying his power so that he can oppress and abuse and deceive people elsewhere. Have you ever thought of that? Our sin creates luxury for his resources to go tempt elsewhere to do unbelievable, despicable things that we would never think of doing ourselves. Have we forgotten that we're at war? Look around. Think about where you work and where you live. Think about what's going on in the world. Is there any evidence that the enemy has let up? Has he backed off of his plan to hurt people and ruin lives? And yet, when we withdraw our complete devotion to Christ, we have the audacity to think that it's other people's sins, other people's failure to follow God that's the cause of all the pain and suffering and calamity in the world. We seem to have forgotten that it's our job to keep the enemy so busy with us. Think about it. It's our job to keep the enemy so busy with us that he has much less time on his hands to be out there tempting others. We, <laughs> we so easily pass off the blame of human suffering to the evil despots, the murderers, the rapists, the terrorists, and those vile sinners that are ruining the world. But here's what many of God's people have forgotten. Every point of disobedience by a believer joins the forces of the enemy who's devouring the innocent. Every sin makes us an accomplice to the forces of darkness that are destroying humanity. Ever think about it that way? There's no such thing as inconsequential disobedience by a believer or trivial sin in the life of a Christian. All sin is serious. Every step out of God's will is detrimental. Every time we withdraw from our single-minded devotion to Christ, we allow the forces who are destroying our race to, look, uh, to move forward with another step in their plan. And when we live like this, we disregard, this is in your notes, look at this concept, we disregard a terrible consequence of sin. When we ignore God's word and go our own way, we make things easier for the enemy. Think about it this way. Are you appalled at what the enemy is doing in the world today? Do you grieve for the people who are starving and abused and distressed and impoverished and oppressed? Do you believe that someone should intervene to stop the perpetrators of evil in the world? Then stop allowing your disobedience to be used by the enemy and commit everything to God and give the Holy Spirit complete control of your life. Lay aside sin and allow the grace of God to transform your life so you live like Christ. Then you create big trouble for the enemy. One of the greatest problems among believers today is that we merely tip our hat to repentance. We blush at a bit of our sin and throw a token, I'm sorry, to the Savior. And in the meantime, we ignore the resulting damage that's going on in the eternal battle for this world. This is a great hypocrisy by the church. We blame the enemy and wicked people for the troubles in the world, but God's plan to oppose the destruction of the human race is, you ready? Is for his followers to make it difficult for the enemy. But when we sin, we make Satan's task easy. When we disobey God, the enemy is able to simply leave us to our own devices and we can, he can move on to battles elsewhere. Rather than keeping him occupied and forcing him to expend his resources on us, he's able to send his forces 
to do damage elsewhere. This leads us to one of the great but rarely recognized biblical passages on spiritual warfare. You may have never even seen this. It's, a, it's at the point in Romans where he's getting ready to talk about, you know, holy kisses and Fred and Sally and all those other names we don't know in the Bible, right? It's the, getting near the kind of the, the end, um, and there's an amazing thing going on. Now, now remember, this is to the Christians in Rome, and back then, to be a Christian in Rome meant they were hunting you down to throw you to the lions. That's the price that was being paid by these people. And this text is so important. This scripture is so important. I want you to write, in, write it in. Look at this. I think it's probably your last blank. Here's what Paul says to the Roman Christians. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Think of that. The whole Christian world has heard of the amazing obedience the following of Christ by the Roman Christians. And look at the next thought. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Listen to this again. This is an astounding scripture. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Just think of this. This is the destroyer of the world. He steals life and causes death. He tempts humans to hate each other. He divides families and neighbors. He incites suspicion and discord between races and nationalities. He ruins lives and he spreads suffering across the globe. And folks, he's the second most powerful entity in all of the universe. But when the followers of Christ live in righteousness, God crushes him under their feet. Oh, he has given us so much power and authority and so many of us for trivial little things back in Egypt lay down the ability to crush the enemy. What are we thinking? But there's a corollary. When we disobey God and his word, this gives the forces of darkness authority to carry out their plans. And when, he, when this happens, we're forfeiting our great calling. This, uh, this, we're missing our great mission We've been called to set evil forces to flight. We've been called to turn back the dark powers who are destroying people all around us. God's plan is to use us to crush the suffering and the injustice. And when we live in faith and obedience in every aspect of life, we tip the balance of power in this war. We upset the devil's well-laid plans, and we force him to withdraw his forces from other places where he's destroying people because he has to come contend with us. The next time you think about those little girls being trafficked around the world, and it brings a rage into your heart as it should, ask yourself, have any of the forces who should be worrying about me had the luxury to go tempt that man? Folks, this is serious business. And now... I want us to look at the parallel passage again in Leviticus 26. Look at this on the screen. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, by the way, whenever you hear a text like that, all of Scripture is saying, don't try harder to be good and to be perfect, and in your flesh, try to be good and righteous. It always means, just like Abraham, by faith, lay down all of your own strength, and let the Holy Spirit cleanse you through and through so that as you die to your own will, Christ lives his power in us. 
Never think this is a call to Phariseeism. This is not just another call to you be good. This is a call to lay down our lives so the Holy Spirit cleanses us through and through. But look what happens when that happens. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, then you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall. You want to see that man out there hurting those girls fall? Then obey the Lord your God. Josiah, come on up with your team. I'd like to ask you some questions. What are you doing? Not the person sitting next to you. Now, you know already you've got the things figured out for them to change. That's not what this message is about. You can imagine how I've been on my face before God to have the audacity to teach like this. What are you doing to terrorize the enemy? What are you doing to strike fear into the enemy of your soul? What are you doing to make him waste resources on you? What are you doing to draw him away from wreaking havoc on others? You see, the Gospels tell us that when Jesus showed up one day and confronted a demon, you may remember it, the demon was horrified and he begged Jesus to leave him. Now think of this biblical context. This is the Christ who has just said, it's better for me to go away. It's better for me to go away. Why? So there would be millions of Christ-like people all over the world who had demons horrified and saying, leave me. Get away from me. He wants a mighty army who in his righteousness sends them away. See, Ephesians and Leviticus and Romans teach us that this can be happening when we show up. We should be terrorizing the enemy. When Jesus shows up in a faithful, spirit-filled believer, did you know that the forces of darkness are rendered powerless? Folks, we've been blaming the evil judges and Hollywood and, and evil politicians. The reason why the church is on the run is because we have lost the power of the spirit-filled righteous life. It's not their fault. They're just doing what they know to do. But no one can stand against the Jesus-filled believer who just lives like Jesus. But we can't do it, folks unless we lay down our, our hearts and our souls and our wills and say, Holy Spirit, do a miracle in me that I can never do myself because I'm not good and I can't make demons run. But when we do that, my friends, God makes us powerful. It's time for us to ask God to give us a full dose of the righteousness and the truth the armor of God, and his word, the sword of the spirit. Stand with me. I want to ask you, are you ready to join the battle? Are you ready to terrorize the forces of darkness? Are you ready to put a thousand to flight? Are you ready to live with such commitment to God's will that he can actually use your feet to crush Satan? In a moment, 
I'm going to open the altars. But before I do, I want each one of us to allow the Holy Spirit to search deeply into our hearts. Is there any part of your life where there's a discrepancy between the will of God and the way you're living? Right now. Do business with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what He is saying in your heart. Is there any gap between His Word and your choices? Let me ask the question this way. Whose side are you really on? Whose plan are you really advancing? And do you realize that if you have disobedience in your life, then you're actually lending aid to the enemy who ruins the world? So are you willing to repent of your disobedience and turn to God's ways and lend aid to the plan? Are you willing to put the destroyer to flight to send his forces fleeing? Are you willing to take up the mighty weapons of God and horrify the enemy who's ruining other people's lives? Are you ready to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse you so through and through that the forces of darkness turn tail and run when you walk into the room? If that's the kind of believer that you want to be, then come forward as Pastor Josiah leads us.